Welcome to the Brown Posey Press Show, part of the BookSpeak Network, a program dedicated to independent and self-published authors. This show will examine new and unique works of literature, learn about their creators, and discuss the industry. And now your host, Tori Gates. Not long ago, we heard about a little town called San Chicaro and got a view into some of its secrets in the book Welcome to San Chicaro. Well, since then, there have been two more volumes of work by various authors to tell us more stories about this town, and some of which we may not have wanted to know. The fourth volume of the series, Decades of San Chicaro, has been released by Thunderbird Studios. Joining us today to talk about the latest tales are three of the contributing authors, We have Adriana Valencia, an author whose uh, work has been featured on the Other Stories podcast. We have Ian Abelson, who is also an ecologist by trade, and Jay Rohr, a native of Chicago, whose work includes Horror Obsessive and his blog, Honesty is Not Contagious. All three of you, welcome. Hello. Thank you so much for having us. Great to be here. Well, let's first begin with a recap. Now, I spoke to some of the folks of Thunderbird uh, on the first volume, and they gave us a little bit of a history of San Chicaro, but uh, tell us a little bit, and each of you are, are invited to just say what you like, um, where did this town come from? Where did it start? What was the the origin for each one of you? Oh, gosh. Okay. Uh, I, I can go first. So for me, uh, San Chicaro started back in the first volume, Welcome to San Chicago, um, Thunderbird Studios posted an open call for submissions uh, on one of the writing Facebook groups, um, just calling any, you know, calling far, far and wide any authors who wanted to submit a story with a certain set of guidelines about, okay, so all the stories are going to be written by different authors, but they're all going to be set in the same setting. Uh, so write your stories, but be aware that there's stuff that uh, we'll do to sort of connect them together to make San Chicaro feel like a really cohesive place. Um, so I wrote a story, a story for Welcome to San Chicaro, and then uh, jumped back in again for decades. And Ian, I have to ask the question, when you saw the posting, when you see something like that, did it did it excite you? Did it did it engender any kind of reaction? Absolutely, I thought it was a really fun idea. Um, the idea of gathering authors with sort of a bunch of different perspectives, a bunch of different writing styles, uh, to all sort of team up and collectively create this city of weirdness and unexplained happenings. Uh, it seemed really fun to me. How about you, Adriana? What what was it for you? For me, I was actually introduced to San Chicaro through my very good friend and one of the editors of Decades, Ali Habashi. Um, she was a contributing author to two editions ago of uh, San Chicaro. Uh, she wrote the Aquarium story um, about selkies and sea lions. It was it was amazing, and mm-hmm. I loved reading her story. I actually, you know got to take a sneak peek and then sort of fell in love with the lore. And uh, she convinced me to uh, try my hand at writing a story for, for decades. And, um, you know, I had that, that sliver of hope that uh, maybe uh, my entry would be accepted and I was lucky enough uh, to be selected. So that's sort of how I, I came across San Chicago in the first place is through Allie. Mm-hmm. And how about you, Jay? You would, you seem to have some background in horror. It must've picked up for you. Like when you saw that. 
Well, I came to it uh, very similarly uh, to like Ian. uh, I saw an open call for uh, decades uh, when that came about, and I was looking into what this was. I wasn't familiar with the with the city or the concept initially, and then I started looking into uh, what had come before, and uh, the previous stories that people had written intrigued me as well as um, the general concept of this fictional city, and then you know looking at the stuff that's available on Twitter and uh, I believe like they have the Instagram for it too, where they have, you know, uh, photos that go with like locations and little like micro uh, stories, so to speak, uh, that correspond to them. But then on top of that, just the, the concept for this anthology going back through history, that was a, that was a big pull for me because I have a degree in history and my friends are always like, why don't you do more historical fiction things that tie into uh the past because you i have a tendency to like know these things uh about um historical events that for me they seem like they should be common knowledge but in a lot of instances i when i have conversations with people i discover that they're not uh they're not well-known concepts so my friends are always encouraging me to do more with history i mean after all i spent God knows how much money to get the degree, so I might as well start doing something. Well, I minored in history in college, so I understand. I, mm. I, it's like there's things that I was always interested. History was the was one of the only courses I was any good in in high school, and it was like just something that just came to me. So yeah, I would sometimes I will I will put things into my writing or into some of my work, or we'll just be talking, and people will at, look at me and like, "How did you know that?" Yeah, yeah. that is a phrase I am very familiar with. <laughs> I definitely want to ask about each of your stories, and we will get to that. But um, you talked a little bit briefly about uh, that they were going to sort of weld these stories together in, in and put some kind of a flow to them, which they did. Again, uh, it just seems like uh, with the interspersing of our sort of observer character, Olivia, it's like everything just snaps together very, very nicely. What kind of what kind of rules did they give? Did they give you any kind of context of you can't go here or this doesn't exist or did they just, how did they do it? Well, to my knowledge, it was a little bit trickier, I think with so many different um, editions and, you know, anthologies that have been published in so many stories um, before that it's sort of like this very tangled web of of history and places and people and things that we sort of have to sort of become the origin story um in certain ways and have to fit into that nicely um so it was a little bit trickier but also very fun to kind of play by those specific rules it was sort of like doing this this dance i suppose of okay well um, this needs to be very specifically in here. We need to wend this story in there, make a reference here, but also maybe stay away from this, that, or the other thing that might, um, you know, lessen credibility or conflict with other mm-hmm. histories and, and other stories. I get that. Now, was there a word or a page limit that they gave? Yes. I think for decades, I want to say it was 8,000 words uh, was the limit. And there may have been a lower limit to maybe 2,000. Okay. Well, the the great thing that I I was really attracted by was uh, from the first story of how, as I say, these these rather macabre little 
tales with each person's own personality coming out. How did you all feel about, as I say, we'll talk about what you've done. How much of yourselves and your styles, did they, did they match? Did they fit within the parameters? Do you feel like, you know, you, you got what you wanted out of the, out of the exercise? I would say so. I mean, I think, um, and we'll talk more about the individual stories later, it sounds like, but I think um, one of the most fun parts about the anthology of uh, the San Chicaro stories is that we do all have different writing styles. We have different word choices. We have different ways that we convey um, events. Uh, so I think you really can sort of pick out the individual authors or, you know, feel that everybody's writing about this same city a little differently. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I agree. Um, it, I, in my writing, I have a tendency to be a little, um, flowery and descriptive and, um, verbose in that way. I, I lean a little bit towards the more poetic and, um, the fact that I could write about a location and really describe it um, was kind of a dream come true for me um, and be allowed to do that. Not in like, you know, an over overly flowery way, but, but still it was, um, it was nice. Mm-hmm. And how about you, Jay? Uh, yeah, I was, re- I really enjoyed um, getting into, uh, I have a tendency to go down the research rabbit hole uh, I really enjoy uh, exploring uh, concepts and things like that. Sometimes uh, to my detriment, um, you know, uh, I, I will go too deep on things and I'll be like, nobody needs that amount of detail. Um, but I mean, it's fun for me in trivia night, but otherwise uh, I really enjoyed uh, researching because like uh, one of the things to try and get right with this was uh, historically accurate, like dialogue, you know, if you wanted to use, terminology from the time period uh in order to make things uh, accurate you know there was a whole there, there was that whole thing in like trying to source material and uh find ways to make things authentic to the time was uh was a really like fun challenge trying to trying to get into that element was was great for me and that is an interesting challenge because when you try to write some for for another place like a number of my books are set in japan partly because of my interest in history but also my interest in different elements of that nation's culture and there's so much about the language that that thankfully i had friends that could help me with that that there's a different manner of speech there are things that they don't say. There are things they don't do. It's just a different society, and you have to sort of immerse yourself in that and and sort of watch and sort of get that idea, if you can, and get that idea of, all right, if if I'm going, well, you know, you know what I mean? Oh, yeah, absolutely. And I one of the things with this, um, with, with, with this writing project that was fantastic for me was, one, like I said, I got to do a lot of uh, research, which I enjoy, but I was also able to weave a lot of... Uh, my own personal experiences into um, into the story, so there was a real great sense of like authenticity for me um, getting into this because it basically brought in all the elements of, that I like to include in my writing. You know, so it was like there's history, there's personal stuff. Um, you know, there are, there were some things that were like reminiscent of like people that I know and things that have happened with uh, friends of mine and my family and so forth. So it was like. This all sort of like came together in the most ideal way possible. Mm-hmm. So I really just enjoyed sitting down and hammering this piece <laughs> out. 
Wonderful. We are speaking with Jay Rohr, Adriana Valencia, and Ian Abelson, all contributors to Thunderbird Studios' latest volume. It is called Decades of San Chicaro. We're going to talk more about their individual stories next. This is the Brown Posey Press Show. You stay with us. Sunbury Press Books is the home of independent authors and thinkers. Radio Free Press is our imprint for politics and social issues. Check out authors such as Pat LaMarche, author of Still Left Out in America, The State of Homelessness in the United States, Jason Altmyer's Dead Center, and A Year of Change and Consequences by Mark Single. Find out more by clicking the Books tab at sunburypress.com. We're back, and we're talking with three of the authors who contributed chapters to Decades of San Chicaro, the fourth of a series from Thunderbird Studios. And I'll take these in order of our authors' uh, appearances. Uh, We begin with, as I've said, uh, this intern named Olivia who goes to the public library and is searching through uh, the record of San Chicaro. And they are starting to find uh, she she and the librarian are finding some very odd stories coming up and among them is the story that uh, was brought to us by Adriana you brought us this one called Echoes in the Bathhouse and Adriana you were talking about your you used the word flowery there was some real descriptive nature in this, and it was fascinating. It speaks to a post-Victorian period, the building of the bathhouse. So tell us about the lady who is telling this story. Tell us about the bathhouse. What What is happening here? Well, the bathhouse, um, I drew from one of my favorite places in the world, um, the Sutro Baths. Um, the Sutton Bath naming wasn't too far off from uh, the real life name. Um, but this place is outside of San Francisco and it has such a, a rich history um, along the same time period. And it was my inspiration. Um, I've been going to like the Cliff House and the Sutro Baths. Um, they're ruins now. They're part of the um, Land's End area of San Francisco on the cliff side. Um, they're just fascinating these ruins of this somewhat ancient looking, you know, site um, that's just very spooky and haunting. Um, They turned the actual Cliff House dining area into restaurants over the years. It's currently closed now. Um, I think they're going to open it up again, but I've always just been entranced and fascinated with uh, this really interesting part of San Francisco's history. Um, And I had been looking for a way to incorporate it into my writing or into my art. Um, And so through decades of San Chicago, I was really excited to be able to finally sort of let my imagination with this fascinating place run wild and incorporate um, some real life elements of its history, um, sort of romanticize the architecture and um, again, pull from some of the most interesting facts about it and um, yeah, I just, I fell in love with this place and I, I got to write about it and, um, in a way that sort of suits my style in a sort of flowery, somewhat spooky way. Um, so that's where sort of the concept and the bathhouse came from. Yeah. And it, it incorporates the different, uh, elements of, of what is going on in San Chicago because there are these constant allusions to the watchers 
and nobody ever really quite knows what they are, but it would appear like, you know, there was, there was a debt to pay or something in this story. And this woman's father was a part of that. And it, it leads to this, you know, there's, there's just this thing, there's this, this beautiful opulent bathhouse, but it's like, there's a price behind it, isn't there? Yes, absolutely. It's um, almost cursed in that way. Um, the Dark Watchers were a really fun concept and legend to play with. Um, I really wanted to take a legend that was native to Central California. Um, the Dark Watchers were actually mentioned by John Steinbeck in his short story, Flight. Mm -hmm. um, and so taking from that real life legend, so to speak, um, and sort of inserting them into this time and this place um, it just sort of fit nicely into San Chicago's um, history. And I was excited to, to play around with that. And um, I think as I wrote the story and incorporated the Dark Watchers and sort of developed and revised it with the editors, I wanted to take them, not necessarily villainize these Dark Watchers and sort of taint the legend and the lore um, and the history and culture behind it, but to sort of make them this like deity-like sort of omniscient beings um, where if you if you make a deal with them, they're going to exact their payment. It's just sort of their lawful neutral nature rather than something malicious and evil. Um, and it sort of turned into the watchers being that catalyst um, and sort of drawing out the nature of men being avaricious and greedy sometimes at heart um, and the father becoming the villain and the daughter sort of falling into that that trap um, of history repeating itself, mm -hmm. but being able to be redeemed in the end. That was very important. Right. Well, we must move now to Ian and the story Garibaldi Pearls. We were talking earlier about terminology discussion, and I think also we see the evolution that even though San Chicago doesn't seem like it changes that much, it does with the times. And... This was really an interesting story of uh, Mauricio and his people. Uh, tell us about this interest in the sea and uh, this scuba business that Mauricio is getting involved in. And tell us about that. Sure. So I, it may not come as much of a surprise after reading the story that I am a scuba diver. Um, I haven't been able to do it very much recently, but the experience sticks out in your brain really well. Um, so I sort of started with this idea that uh, San Chicago is a coastal town. You know, the ocean is right there. And for a lot of coastal towns sort of throughout the U.S., um, tourism is a really big industry. Uh, and I really liked the idea of um, two men trying to, like, get ahead of the curve a little bit, like set up scuba diving, something that we – no eventually becomes a big recreational thing um and trying to set it up in san chicago early because it's also sort of alluded to throughout that uh, throughout the four anthology anthologies that san chicago is somewhere that um innovation still prospers uh, despite all of the unexplained happenings and despite all of the the mysteries um Jay mentioned earlier uh, falling down the research rabbit hole, and I think I definitely 
did a little bit of that <laughs> after uh after I sent in my first draft, I remember James, uh, the one of the editors for uh, Thunderbird Studios, came back to me and was like, you know, we really don't need all this stuff at the beginning about how old-timey scuba equipment works. And I was like, well, okay, that's fair. That's probably only interesting to me. Um, but... Obviously, it's San Chicaro, so if they're going into the ocean, there's going to be something lurking there. Um, and the the pearls themselves actually came from me watching a bunch of videos of what it looks like scuba diving in California, mm -hmm. um, because I have never been scuba diving in California, um, and seeing these bright orange Garibaldi fish, and they're such a bright color. They stand out so much, mm. even in the murkier uh, waters, that they really kind of looked like gems. Okay. Uh, and the rest of the story kind of sprang up from there. Yeah, and it's, it's uh, again, it's it's another of that story of... Uh, and you know what, what's really interesting, too, is that so many of the people that are involved in these stories, and I don't think this was... this. I think it's more coincidence than anything, but people show up there and they think, or they or they have a connection there, and it's like they just walk. I it's like it's almost like eyes wide shut. We are walking into this, and we're going to do this, and they don't necessarily ignore the stories that they had to have heard before, but it's like they don't they don't seem as aware, and then they they're sort of forced to be aware. <laughs> yeah, I think if you look at characters, sort of throughout various stories in the, the San Chicago anthologies, you know, there are some who just don't know what's going on in the city. There are some who have heard of it, but don't really believe it or really skeptical about it. And then you get others who know about it, kind of believe it, but they're just going to sort of plow through anyway. Yeah. Well, that brings us to Jay and you have, you contributed with animal control and the character of Chuck was interesting to me in that he's coming from Arizona and he's coming, it looks like he's coming back to a place that he knows or an area that he knows. And he seems very, uh, he, he seems occupied by a number of things. Tell us about this man, Jay, and what he's, what he's come into. Well, well the situation with Chuck is that he's coming um, specifically from Florida. He makes a stop briefly in, I think, Arizona, yep. uh, but He's coming from Florida because uh, the the central like impetus for his migration is that he's uh, sort of fleeing the uh, the the consequences of the lavender scare of the latter fifties and the early sixties. Yep. This was a this was an offshoot of the uh, more well known Red Scare when people were witch hunting for communists. You yep. know the famous uh, Senator McCarthy situation. Hey, <clears throat> excuse me. And uh, basically, Chuck has been uh, driven out of Florida uh, for being gay. Mm -hmm. And uh, he's looking for a, a new place to start over. But he's also somebody who doesn't really know what that means. Like, he's not really sure of his place in society anymore um, because he's sort, of, he's sort of sick of hiding in the background. But he also, like, knows he can't be out in the forefront because it's not a safe time for him. So it's sort of somebody who's lost, but at the same time, there's when I was writing him, I had this sort of sense, at least in my head, that, and I don't know how well it comes, I hope it comes across well in the story, 
that part of the conflict is that this guy knows who he is. This isn't somebody who's like lost on a journey of self-discovery. He's just in conflict with his own self-actualized state, uh, which is contradicted by like what society allows. So he's sort of like, he knows who he is. He has no problem with his situation. It's the rest of the world around him. And he's just trying to find somewhere where he can kind of ride out his depression at the moment. So um, he ends up in this situation where he's, he's taking a job. He's gone from being a math teacher, and now he's like, I'm going to do animal control. You know, in a lot of ways, like some people might say that's a step down, but, <laughs> um, you know, uh, <laughs> it's, it's just it's all about somebody that's not allowed the opportunity to be who they are, you know, I guess at the end of the day. Mm-hmm. And the dogs that, you know, there's the discussions of the dogs and you, and you sort of see some of Chuck's views of what's going on. And uh, do, are the dogs to represent the issue of San Jacaro or, or the problem of it? Or is it like a manifestation, do you think? I'm not really sure what to call it. Well, one of the things that I wanted to do was I wanted to take something that would seem... Um, sort of banal and, and, and innocuous uh, on the surface. You know, they're these animals that we like take for granted in society, like they're just around and nobody really thinks about like the situation with their well-being or whether or not they're in fact anything. Um... One of the things I wanted to get at was that like, there's sort of like this underbelly to the entire city that's sort of like running through the animal control uh, that there's this whole, uh, there are all these wondrous creatures that inhabit the area and for the citizens of this city they've sort of become just these like mundane and sometimes like annoyances and sometimes exploited creatures and um yeah i guess there could be an argument for there being like metaphorical symbolism so on and so forth i didn't sit down and like plot out like on a on a chalkboard like okay this is going to relate to this and this is going to mean this it just sort of organically came about but um, yeah, the one of the things was that, uh, especially like with the with the dogs, was the idea of um, especially like one particular scene was like Chuck being able to relate to the condition of the animal. It gave an opportunity to get into his background, his mindset, and that kind of thing. And um, I really liked the the ability to use. Uh, his interaction with different animals and his encounters to sort of uh, elaborate on his situation. And sometimes, uh, like in the case with uh, when he encounters jackalopes, just to help establish the time period as well, because he hears um, he hears jackalopes singing, you know, so I was able to reference uh, music from the era. Yep. Yep. Well, we're speaking with J. Rohr, Ian Abelson, and Adriana Valencia, all authors who have contributed to Decades of San Chicaro, the fourth in a series from Thunderbird Studios. And we'll talk more with the authors right after this. This is the Brown Posey Press Show. Stay with us. Sunbury Press Books brings you the work of authors from many genres. If you are into horror, thrillers, or fantasy, check out our Hellbender Books imprint, Thomas Malafarina's Maliformed Realities series, The Thirteenth Child by Nick Korolev, The State Changer series by Chris Fenwick, or the psychological thrillers of Keith Rommel. Find these and other works at the Hellbender Books tab and all works of fiction and nonfiction at sunburypress.com. 
We're back, and we're speaking with three of the authors who have contributed to Decades of San Chicaro, the fourth in a series released by Thunderbird Studios. And I wanted to take this opportunity to find out a little bit more about our three guests who have uh, put forward their talents and their stories. Adriana Valencia, you are coming to us from Sacramento. Tell us a little bit about uh, your early life and your influences in terms of your writing and, and your artwork and so forth. Tell us about you. Yeah, essentially, um, I'm born and raised in California. Um, so that definitely had a, a big influence on um, specifically this story uh, in particular and, um, you know, inserting myself in the lore of San Chicaro. But um, ever since I was little, I have had a love for creating art and writing. Um, my grandmother, she loved to write as well and encouraged me from a very young age before she passed to write and to get my thoughts on paper. And I just... I love reading, I love movies, and um, at a later age, definitely fell in love with the horror genre, both in writing and in film. So that has definitely had a really big influence on um, me as a horror author, and as well as a lot of my um, works um, in painting and colored pencil and acrylics that I also do. Um, So, you know, that's a little bit um, broad, broad strokes, you could say, um, as far as my influences. But um, for this story in particular, I definitely drew from um, Hitchcock films as well. Mm-hmm. And that sort of yes. noir look um, for the bathhouse, that was really a, a huge influence I had. Um, and I took from a lot of like old timey drawings, um, including drawings for the Sutro baths. Um, it was really fascinated me. I loved looking at photographs from the actual pools um, that they have in the museums um, and different renderings um, of the bathhouse itself in that style. So um, those sort of visuals, since I'm a very visual person, contributed to the to the style and the flowery writing, you could say. Well, and your piece, to me, had a, a different view of, of horror because I'm not a horror fan. I, I mean, I'm not a huge fan of it, but it's like what I've read sometimes and when you try to write something that you're not really versed in, it can be challenging, but it's like you gave, it was almost, there was almost a little Lovecraftian creepiness to the bathhouses. It was almost like walking through while, while you were descript, describing it to me as I'm reading it. I'm like, you know, there's just something there. And that was the way the whole book, the, the, the first book was the same way for me. There was just this creepiness there was this sort of skin crawling creepiness to me. <laughs> yeah. I, I do. I love the um, unsettling nature of horror. I think that's something that I like to incorporate into my works, uh, including the one um, in the other stories, Oda Underground, very unsettling, very insidiously creepy um, rather than overtly terrifying. Yes. Um, that's something I just love to play with um, as a writer and as an artist. Okay. And Ian, now you are uh, from coming to us from Michigan. Tell us, now you work as an ecologist, uh, and what else has fit into your, your writing and to uh, what is, has brought you this far? Yeah, I mean, um, being an ecologist and uh, working out in the, the field, I, I work mostly as sort of a field biologist. I'm out a lot. Uh, collecting data, monitoring, 
um, managing uh, and restoring native habitats. And that absolutely influences uh, my writing. I definitely tend to um, write a lot about natural subject matter. Um, and uh, so even the in the story, the sort of parasitic nature of these coral-like creatures uh, is inspired by uh, certain real parasites in ecosystems. Mm -hmm. uh, and I, I honestly, in terms of style, I tend to sort of um, do a little bit of the opposite of Adriana. I, I'm, I don't feel a very strong writing description sometimes, so I tend to write a lot of uh, dialogue-heavy stories. Um, and I think that's partially influenced by, I, I did a lot of theater when I was in high school and a little bit in college too. Mm -hmm. You know, if you're reading a, a theater script, that's just dialogue. That's all you have to go on and all the rest is um, in your mind's eye. Mm -hmm. That's cool. And Jay, uh, about you, you have, uh, like I say, you have um, different works in the horror genre as well. Was that always your thing? And, and tell us about growing up in Chicago. That had to have had a huge influence. And tell us about what brought you up up, up as well. Um, well, yeah, when it comes to horror, uh, I guess, you know, not to... Uh, <laughs> Uh, nothing like David Copperfield, the situation, but when I was a kid, I was absolutely terrified by it. Um, mm -hmm. Like to the point where I couldn't even watch uh, commercials before without getting some seed for nightmares just planted in my head. And uh, as I got older and uh, I don't know how, just became less afraid of things. I mean, I still get freaked out by some movies, uh, but it just, it became something that I started to realize was a great way to explore a lot of things, you know, the same way that people enjoy the twilight zone for its ability to bring up topics that people don't usually want to talk about. And I also just had a tendency to come up with things. We, I, you know, I'm one of those people I'll be watching uh, a movie with friends. And then afterwards we're sitting there, we're like, that could have been a little bit better. We talk about like what could have been done. And I'm always the one coming up with the, uh, the, the improvements as it were. Yep. Um, so it's just, it's, it's something that I just kind of like naturally just sort of like grew into over time. And, um, you know, I guess the best way to put it is that, uh, it was like, it was the original genre that like really like spoke to me. Um, because, you know, I'm sort of a pessimistic person in the, in the first place. Like, you know, I'm not, I'm not the guy if we're in the cabin in the woods, okay, uh, I'm not the guy that's going to be like, all right, let's suit up and go after this guy. I'm going to be the dude that's like, let's just crack open a beer because he's going to kill us eventually. Let's just, you know, everybody <laughs> sit down and just take it easy. Um, and the other side of that equation, though, uh, the other side of the coin, I should say, is that um, if you met me in person, I look like the guy that's going to kill you in the cabin in the woods, which is not great for dating. Um <laughs> But as far as like when it comes to that, it's like it's sort of like uh, all that stuff sort of like amalgamates together into like, you know, your personality and disposition, so on and so forth. So the dark genres have always appealed to me. And then I guess uh, when it comes to the city, I mean, like whose who's home, home environment can't affect their writing. But I mean, the city itself is interesting because uh, Chicago is very Midwestern in its own ways. Yeah. Um, but at the same time, you know, we also have like a lot of the problems of a city. 
So like during the daytime, it's, you know, very nice. People say hello to you on the street. Pardon me. I'm sorry. I bumped into you and so on and so forth. But then at night, I mean, there are places you just don't want to go. Um, And because of like myself, uh, because I'm an idiot, I'm like, oh, that's the bar where everybody gets stabbed. Let's go there tonight. (laughs) And then uh, you leave. And then the next day you're sitting here like, oh, God, why did we go to the bar where everybody gets stabbed? Well, at least we have a good story about a guy getting stabbed in the parking lot 11 times. So um, and. I think it's pretty plain to see how that can like feed into uh, writing horror fiction when you can have that sort of like almost like David Lynch blue velvet uh, element of a city where it's like everybody's nice and kind of pleasant during the day. And at night, like just all the weird creepiness comes out. Um, Even if you're not looking for it, you can just stumble right into it. Yeah, it does happen. Um, Well, I'll tell you what, what has happened is, you three and so many other folks here have contributed uh, to another volume of de- you know, of the San Chicaro series. Decades of San Chicaro has taken us through a lot of its history and the creation of it. And, of course, they left it at a cliffhanger with what Olivia discovers at the end, so to speak. Um, just sounds to me like I'd like to know what each of you think about it. It's like the future of this beyond books, I mean... The, the the lesson that was given to me over 30 years ago when I made my first stab at writing was, I mean, I work in broadcasting, I work in journalism, and a news reporter friend of mine, when I was telling her the, the pitch for this crazy story that I was writing, she said, well, let me just ask you one thing. She says, could you make a movie out of this? And I thought about it, and I said, yeah, I I'm writing it like that. And she said, well, there you are. Write it like that. Write for that. And my style is visual. My style is kind of like I'm seeing this happen as I write, and I'm trying to add enough details as we go without, again, like like you were saying earlier, the putting too much terminology or too much detail in, but you still need a little bit. Um, you think this has this has fu- this has a future for like this could this could go on Netflix or Hulu or something like that. It seems like it would fit for television. Oh yeah, absolutely. I could definitely see this uh, getting brought to the screen. Yeah, I'll I'll agree with that. I think uh, it would be really cool as sort of an anthology series on, yeah, Netflix or Hulu or one of the other streaming platforms, especially with the fact that they've all been written by different writers. So I think that would lead to sort of a series where you never know exactly what you're going to get next episode, like what kind of story this is going to be. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that it would be, be great. To... I, I, I... <laughs> Absolutely. I, I yeah. want to, I don't know if there's going to be a better time to do this, but I wanted to say uh, Jay and Adriana, I really enjoyed both of your stories. They were both, fantastic so well done thank you same here i'm a huge fan of both of your work like (laughs) as opposite as you are ian as well like it's phenomenal work it was just such an original story both of you well done thank you thank you i I was just just gonna say like that that's one of the reasons i think it would be great if it did in some capacity come to the screen because like it'd be great to see this like elaborate strange bathhouse 
that, that Adriana like created. It's it's really yeah. that that was one of the things that like really drew me into that story is the description of the bathhouse because it's just so fantastical. And then like Ian like paints this wonderful just like tableau of even though uh, there's just this wonderful sense of the underwater environment and this creepy thing that you kind of see but don't really get the full sense of underwater this coral entity it's it's great and it would be interesting to see how someone brought that to life yeah and there's the thing you all painted you all painted the pictures with words incredibly well i think i think each chapter just fit so nicely and uh that's what thunderbird has been able to do is just to not only attract really intriguing writers with their own styles they're able to make these fit. Uh, one thing I will leave each of you with is a question. Adriana, I will start with you. What is next for you? What are you working on? Right now, I'm sort of in between looking for a, a new, you know, writing project and a new anthology to submit to. Um, but right now, I, I do have my own. I started my own painting business, my own uh, fine art and commissions business back in April. Um, it's A Valencia Studios. Um, so right now I do pet portraits, commissions like that. Um, and I also am working on my own sort of, um, different, more supernatural, more horror inspired series as well. Um, so that's, that's sort of what I'm, I'm working on. And, uh, yeah, if, if anyone has a, a beloved pet that you would like painted, please reach out to me. Um, you can find me at avalenciastudios.squarespace.com. And how about you, Ian? Yeah, I uh, am still, I I enjoy writing short stories a lot and submitting them to various calls for submissions. I like both the, um, you know, sometimes you find an open call for submissions where it's just a genre and you can kind of go wild, but I, I like the ones with uh, some guidelines too. Um, I just received a, a hold notice yesterday for a short story. Um but it's still an an anonymous submission, so I can't say any more than that for now. And Jay, how about you? Um, Well, in addition to uh, the occasional article that you can find uh, that I'm writing for Horror Obsessive, um, you can keep track of some of the things that I'm doing over at my website, uh, honestyisnotcontagious.com. But I guess in the immediate future, the two things that I'm working on uh, the most are uh, I'm shopping around a novel I just finished um, called Killing Lake Michigan, um, which is a fantastically surreal, absurd, dark ro- romantic comedy, and um, and then on. And besides that, I'm also working on uh, putting together uh, the fifth album uh, for my band, um, Beer Finger, which you can find on uh, iTunes, Spotify, all that stuff. Um, I want so, to ask what 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 kind of music is Beerfinger? Um, well, that's it's been evolving over time. Um, it, it's it's kind of like a I would say it's like a punk rock alternative metal project that started out um, sort of comically uh, because I have a I have another book that I've been shopping around for years um, called Beerfinger, and the idea was that uh, that's like a whole that's a whole novel about uh, a punk rock band getting okay with the idea that their career is going nowhere. And then I wrote the album that they write about their uh, adventure called uncle stumbles, mumble juice. And then, um, 
it just kind of blossomed from there because some people actually liked the first album uh, and uh, people who I didn't know started buying it. And then from there, it was just like I had material and I just kept going. And then, you know, quarantine happened and there was nothing to do except sit inside. Uh, one of the great things about this music project is that like I'm the only person doing everything. Uh, the downside is that when it doesn't work, it's all my fault. But um, <laughs> when it comes together, it works. You know, I'm not going to say everything's perfect about it, but it's fun. And it's, it's an interesting uh it's an interesting outlet, creative outlet, like shifting gears from writing stories to writing music and back again. And that helps with some of the stuff that I do, because now that uh, people can get together again, uh, I'm doing live shows where I do, uh, I read literature, so like selections, short stories and stuff like that. I've read from this anthology uh, at a couple of live events and I create music to go with it. So it's kind of like a whole experience i'll be actually doing some stuff tomorrow uh if you're in the chicagoland area uh come on over to uh mrs murphy's and son's irish bistro and see me be an irish cliche drinking whiskey and reading my sad stories so well, hey you have a great voice for narration i will say that we well oh, you know you. i i tried the same thing i tried the same thing in my with my old band uh when my first uh, book came out, Parasite Girls, all these years ago, uh, my bassist picked up my guitar and said, you know, I said, I want to read some of this. And she said, okay, read. So I started reading and then she just started freestyling guitar under it. And I was like, oh my God, this is good. And, and it went over well enough. I don't think it, it, it didn't really, it didn't really translate to any sales, but it was a lot of fun. And that, that was the whole thing about music for me was fun, but it also let me, stretch my own stuff because a lot of my songs end up in my books so it's uh i guess it, it, it all comes together doesn't it? it it does and like you said it it's more than anything else for me it's just fun the minute it becomes work that's when i set it aside i mean sometimes when you're writing or creating something it has to be work because you know um it can't be a thrill all the time i mean uh i did enjoy the editing process for my uh, for my story i don't know i can't speak for the others but this was a really great experience at the same time though like that's the thing for me where it always gets like where it becomes like real work because you really have to sit down and figure out how to re-sculpt your story to include the notes that they've done or like cut out portions and it's always great um at risk of being sarcastic uh it's always great when your editor says we need you to include more detail about this but don't go over the word limit. And you're looking at your word limit and you're like, I have 50 <laughs> words. Yeah. I got 20 words and two of them have to be the. And they want you and they want you to have an entire conversation about something. You're like, I got 50 words. They have a 30 minute conversation. <laughs> All right. That, okay. That's funny. I, I always feel like I, I, cause I, I really enjoy the editing process too. And in some ways, it feels less like work than the first draft to me because it feels like fixing something. Yep. And that's very like satisfying in some ways. Yeah. It's kind of like a puzzle, you know, it's, it's this interesting challenge where you can really dig in and say, okay, can I tweak? What can yeah. I cut out, but make more succinct here? It's a lot of fun, in All my right. opinion. In my opinion, personally. <laughs> well, I think we had uh, we all had a lot of fun reading, writing, and, and doing all of this. I certainly have enjoyed talking with you, all three of you. Thank you so much, Adriana Valencia, Ian Abelson, and Jay Rohr. 
Thank you for your contribution to the San Chicaro series, and thank you for being on the show. I appreciate it. Thank you so much for having us. Yes, thank thank you. you. It was a pleasure meeting all of you. You've been listening to the Brown Posey Press Show with your host, Tori Gates. Find his works, including Searching for Roy Buchanan, Call It Love, A Moment in the Sun, and Lie from the Cafe, along with more independent authors of fiction and nonfiction at sunburypress.com. Thank you for listening. This is the BookSpeak Network. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, avoid, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.